This is Periodically Political, brought to you by Elect STEM. We bring you stories of where politics intersects science. My name is Chris Caputo, and I'll be your co-host today, along with Darren Anderson. Our guest today is the Honorable Jill Green, who is Minister of Transportation and Infrastructure in the province of New Brunswick. She was first elected as a member of the Legislative Assembly in 2020 to represent the riding of Fredericton North. She has a Bachelor of Science degree in Civil Engineering from the University of New Brunswick and has spent significant time in both the public and private sectors prior to running for office. She has won numerous awards and recognitions throughout her career, including being recognized as one of the top 50 CEOs in Atlantic Canada by Atlantic Business Magazine. Finally, she was named a fellow in the Canadian Academy of Engineers in 2018. Welcome to the show, Minister Green. Hi, it's it's a pleasure to be here. So uh, at Alex STEM, we like to tell stories of engineers and scientists who have made that leap from, um, you know, the private sector to public office and running for office. And, And you spent a fair bit of time in the private sector before actually taking that jump. So I was wondering if you can kind of enlighten us a little bit to what decided you to run for or what made you decide to run for office in the first place? Well, it, it kind of started back when the federal government was making changes to uh, the small business tax. And I was quite vocal that they really were rushing something through that they didn't understand the consequences of. Um, I spoke at a Chamber of Commerce, a National Chamber of Commerce event that was happening here in Fredericton, actually. And and I, I just was really concerned that decisions were being rushed and not understood. And um, the local uh, PC organization approached me to ask if I'd be interested in running. And I can honestly tell you, I had never even considered anything to do with politics at that point. But I was feeling very, very strongly about things. And, and I, I, I'm a strong believer in if uh, you shouldn't be complaining about something you're not willing to do something about. And I knew that was a way that I could have a voice and, and do something about some things that I thought, you know, we weren't doing the right way. So I put my name forward in 2018, knocked on a lot of doors, um, met a lot of different people in my community. It was actually really wonderful. I didn't know that I would like it, but I did like knocking on doors and um, I lost. But uh, we had a minority government here in New Brunswick. And uh, after COVID hit, uh, we had another election and I made the decision to try one more time and was successful. So now I'm Minister of Transportation and Infrastructure for the province of New Brunswick, which is really, really cool. Yeah, you get to build upon, I guess, your professional expertise and actually apply that in cabinet. It's kind of neat because I'm the first uh, engineer that's ever been the Minister of Transportation and Infrastructure. So I do have a unique perspective Um, and engineers are taught how to problem solve and, you know, approach problems in a logical, methodical way. So, yeah, I I have a lot to say at the the cabinet table because I look at things a little different than everybody else. And I guess that's why it's important. And the work that you're doing is important because you need different voices around the table, not just, you know, gender culture, but also uh, what your background is. Absolutely. Yeah, I completely agree. It's funny that you mentioned the 
need to put do something when you're when you're calling for action. Um, you know, one of the reasons we founded Elect STEM, I had commented on Twitter that it would be so nice if there was something like there's a group in the U.S. that called Action Three One Four that is about trying to get scientists and engineers to run for public office. And so I had said it would be so nice if someone would uh, set something like that up here in Canada. And um, one of the volunteers uh, that's working with us now said, "Yes, it would be nice if someone would do that." Um, and that was really the the catalyst for us kicking this off. So that that's fascinating. So I'd be really interested in understanding what what is it about running for public office? You know, we've got a lot of people in our audience that are potentially interested, maybe a little bit on the fence. What would you say to them if you were trying to encourage them to consider running for public office? Well, it's interesting because we just went through municipal elections here in New Brunswick, and there was a number of uh, people that came to me just asking my thoughts on on running and go for it. If you have any little piece of you that thinks that you would like to be part of solutions and part of making things better for your community and, and to be a voice for, for your community, go for it. Even if you lose, like I lost and I still feel like I came forward after that loss because I was more connected to my community. I understood more about what the problems and issues were within my community and, and I made new friendships just by knocking on people's doors and, and by running with some of my counterparts that did get elected. And so I would have, I built relationships. So if you have anything in you that wants to do it, go for it. The worst thing that's going to happen is you're going to lose. That's it. That's the worst. And it sounds like even that was a positive experience for you. It was a positive experience. I, then I, you know, after I lost, I didn't, I, I was fine because I know I had done everything I possibly could. And there was, I didn't leave anything on the table. It was really close. I almost beat my counterpart. And so it was a success for me. And, and obviously the hard work I did in 2018 helped me get elected in 2020. It's interesting that you say that. So I think probably at least half and and maybe even three quarters of the politicians that we've interviewed so far lost their first time out. Um, and I, it's been interesting to hear everyone talk about that. And generally, the feedback's been exactly what, what you said, which was it was a positive experience. I learned a ton. I learned I like it, uh, yeah. which is important because you probably didn't know that before you went into this process. I didn't. And I think the other thing that I, the conclusion I've come to, too, is, you know, a lot of life is about sales. And mm-hmm. so I was a CEO of a company. I wasn't directly in the sales role, but when you're a CEO, you're selling your product and you're selling your people and you're selling your company all the time. And politics is exactly the same way, except now you're selling your community, you're selling, you know, what your community needs. So you're, you're in sales all the time. So if you like sales, it could be the job for you. Awesome. Well, certainly music to my ears because that, that is a big part of what I enjoy about my day job as an entrepreneur. So that that's interesting. Uh, could you tell me a little bit about just what uh, what you're proudest of, what impact you feel like you've had? And we want to have a separate conversation about the experience with COVID in Atlantic Canada. So obviously, I'm sure there are elements there that, that you've really been want to dig into. But other than, than COVID related things, can you tell us what you're proudest of having accomplished and the impact you've had? Uh, I can, as we're very early into our mandate, but I can, I think what I'm, I'm proudest of, and it's not something that people see, but it's sitting around the cabinet table, all the decisions that come before us, my voice is heard. And, you know, my advice and my, when I challenge other ministers and we have discussions about things, 
my thoughts are taken into account and changes are made sometimes to policy based on some of my thoughts and opinions. And so, you know, the goal of doing this was to be able to have an impact and I am. So I think that's the biggest thing I'm proud of. And, you know, at the end of the day, you're one person of 15 around that table. So if you can move the needle even a little bit, it's a win. So um, that's what I'm most proud of is having that voice and be able to represent the people in my riding and have their needs heard at that table. Awesome. So to kind of dig into that a little bit more, um, would you say that, you know, your STEM training has actually impacted the decisions that are made at the cabinet table? Like, do people come to you as an engineer and, and it's like, okay, does this make sense? Or does your feedback carry more weight because of your, your background? Um, I would like to say, yes, it does carry more weight because, well, number one, I have a lot of real world experience and, and, you know, the entrepreneurial background as well. So I ran a company um, and was responsible for, you know, the growth of that company and supporting the people within that company. Um, but yes, and and it's obvious when I talk at the cabinet table that I've used my engineering background and my problem solving to consider all the, the decisions. And, and sometimes, you know, I think of things other people don't because of my background. Interestingly, in New Brunswick, our premier is an engineer too. So I don't think there's ever been two engineers around that cabinet table before. So he appreciates the way I make decisions and the way I consider problems as well. So that certainly helps. So it, it gives me more weight with him too, I think. No, absolutely. That's, that's awesome to hear the, like, as, as Darren was alluding to, you know, um, the Atlantic bubble, what has happened in New Brunswick during the COVID-19 pandemic is really a success story from a North American perspective. So do you want to comment on why do you think you were so successful at mitigating the impacts of the pandemic so far? Yeah, sure. I can talk about that. I think um, we got off on the right foot. Uh, you know, there was a, a critical time in early March that difficult decisions had to be made and they were hard. They were painful, hard decisions. And I wasn't sitting on cabinet at that point because the election hadn't occurred yet, but my team and a lot of my team is still there, um, made some really tough decisions quickly and shut down the schools and locked us mm -hmm. down. Like, and they jumped on it before anybody else did. And I think that was that being that decisive and willing to take that big of a risk that fast really changed the trajectory of New Brunswick and New Brunswick protects our sister provinces. We protect PEI, we protect Nova Scotia. So, us making that decision helped them as well. So that allowed right. us to have this special little bubble we have here, even though it's come and gone a little bit, but still it's a special, we're in a pretty special place. And it's interesting when I'm in meetings with counterparts in Ontario or even you guys, like they're all sitting separately in their homes and we'll have meetings and we're sitting around the boardroom table and they're, everybody's just jealous because we're able to function in a different way than the rest of Canada. Yeah, as you can see, I haven't got my hair cut in about a year. So it's, <laughs> I'm looking forward to that one day. Um, yeah, like cabinet, the cabinet table seems like it's an incredibly high pressure environment. Like the decisions you are making, lives are at stake, uh, livelihoods are also at stake. So how do you deal with the I guess, emotional impact and managing uh, these decision making uh, or, or managing these decisions? It can be pretty tough sometimes. 
It, it really can because you do. You can you consider the businesses, people's live, livelihoods, but you're balancing that with people's lives as well. And it's a lot. Um, yeah, see, you're making me verklempt. It's a lot. Well, it's, it's, I guess, the responsibility that comes with the role, but it's so important. And so thank you for making these challenging decisions. I can tell you having a strong team around you helps, though, too. Like the cabinet table, we're a very close knit group and so we sink or swim together which is helpful mm-hmm. and then your family has to be there to support you as well does your does your engineering training at all help you just at least understand i mean there, there's so much uncertainty in making these decisions right and yeah. I, I certainly would imagine as a scientist that knowing that and understanding that at least would help help me i, I don't know if you've had a similar experience with your background well yeah i uh I have emotions, obviously, you saw of a lot there, but, but being an engineer, you know, we're taught to make logical, methodical decisions, and, you know, usually emotion isn't in it, even though it's always in the background a little bit, mm-hmm. that's not one of the considerations when you're making decisions. So, yes, it absolutely helped me do it and, and separate that emotional piece from the decisions that have to be made, especially when they're really tough decisions. Cause you know, like locking down an area and knowing the businesses have to shut and like, that's a huge deal, huge deal, but you got to separate it a little bit, but it comes back to you sometimes and gets you. Yeah, I, I can imagine. I mean, one thing that I guess is interesting for our audience is anybody who has watched what elected officials have had to the decisions you've had to struggle with over the last year and is still thinking that it's something that they'd be interested in. Um, you know, I think it's then that, that really does say you should, you should go for it. Right. You should. And, you know, New Brunswick has done a kind of a cool thing too. So recognizing that everybody kind of needs to own this and work together. There's actually two cabinets. We had a COVID cabinet, which had the leaders of the opposition involved and then actually, and then actual cabinet. So, by having all the opposition parties involved in the decision making, it made it easier to be firm and stand, be sure you have the right decision because everybody's represented, not just, you know, one particular uh, political affiliation. Mm-hmm. And that approach sounds really uh, like successful. Well, obviously it's been very successful to, to, you know, talk to have the leaders of the opposition parties as well involved. Yeah, it was brilliant. The, the other thing that we've noticed throughout the pandemic is really this, you know, community, Darren kind of touched on risk assessment, but the communications of risk and like how, you know, this, there's a lot of complex moving scientific parts behind all of the, the decisions that are being made. And, and it, it can be very challenging to communicate that simply to the general public. Like, have you had any experience with this, like with the science communication aspect, you know, do you have any thoughts on how we could be better prepared in the future for something like this? I don't think you can prepare for this. <laughs> I guess, I guess the communication aspect, maybe not prepare for the pandemic. No, that's not, that's not, what I'm um, sorry. What is enough? We certainly yeah. have learned some things about communication through this. Um, and yes, this is highly technical. You really have to rely. We've relied heavily on our department of, health like really heavily um they're advising us all the times but yes we have learned things going through this like don't come out with big changes on a friday because all (laughs) you're gonna do is suffer all weekend long um and sometimes baby steps is better than huge changes right away so yes we've learned a lot through this and i think our communications have been getting better and better 
we do get criticized for changing things rapidly, but the problem is the science is changing rapidly, right? So we have to adapt to that. And so we're willing to bear that criticism because, you know, if we're nimble and quick and make decisions in a timely way, we we protect people. So, and that's our job is to protect people. Well, and it's funny you mentioned the the communications piece and 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 the fact that things are changing so much. It's certainly something that I've reflected on, you know, being engaged with the science community on Twitter and that kind of thing. I do think sometimes there's this mantra of follow the science that implies a level of precision and certainty of what the science says that certainly we've seen it change a lot during the pandemic. And I think as scientists and engineers, it's important that we acknowledge that and that there isn't, you know, it isn't necessarily that there's that everything is known up front. Um, certainly something that struck me. Well, and that's true. And, 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 you know, as politicians or as cabinet members, we have to listen to what our department of health tells us about the science, but then mm-hmm. it's our job and, and their job is to, to reduce risk. That's their job hundred percent. And so then it's our job to balance that with some more of the social aspects of things mm-hmm. related to the pandemic. So, we take the science and then we have to balance that with the needs of the population. And, you know, you, sometimes you get the balance right and sometimes you might not quite get it right, but you just keep moving and, 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 you know, making a decision, even if it's the wrong one is sometimes better than making no decision at all. Yeah, uh, I can completely understand that. So uh, you mentioned, you know, you were elected in the pandemic. What was it like running for public office in the middle of a pandemic? I mean, I, I know your pandemic was different than Ontario's pandemic, but nevertheless. So in my first election, I spent the entire months because I, I won my nomination about three or four months before the writ was dropped. I started knocking on doors right away after that. And so I, I knocked on almost every door in my riding. And, I, and for the last month after the writ was dropped, that's all I did all day long, every day. Mm-hmm. Fast forward to 2020, I'm sitting at my kitchen table making phone calls all day long and and answering social media questions and posting things on social media. And so you don't get the connection with the community like you do uh, when it's normal times. And so I kind of feel bad for the politicians because some of my counterparts didn't run in 2018. They just they ran for the first time in 2020. So they missed that connection to the community that Mm. I got in 2018. So I told them, I've been telling them, like, I do feel bad for them because it is nice to get out there and shake hands and kiss babies. Mm. I like to pat the dogs. That's what I was more about. (laughs) (laughs) And so what's the community like from a political perspective? I mean, you're obviously a member of, of, uh, of a specific political party. You know, you have other political parties. Is it... You know, to what extent is it an adversarial relationship? To what extent is it something where, you know, like the old Looney Tunes where, you know, the dog and the rooster check in on the way in and check in on the way out? Could you tell us a little bit about just what those relationships across party lines look like? It's, it's, I'm learning all the time because I'm fairly new to this. I think I'm six months in, but it's actually kind of the, the relationships are when the cameras aren't on are pretty good. Like mm-hmm. we talk to each other, we try to help each other out. Um, I'll always sit down with one of the members of the opposition and talk about problems in their riding and see what I can do to help them. And it's, it's kind of, it's kind of funny because you're sitting in the legislature 
you know, you're in question period, you're zinging each other back and forth, and then question period's over and you're laughing and joking and, and <laughs> making fun of each other across the lines, or you're walking out together to go get lunch and you sit and have lunch together. So, you know, at the end of the day, we're all in this to try to help the people in New Brunswick. And we doesn't matter what your political affiliation is, everybody's heart is in the same place and everybody's trying to row to what they think is the right future for our province. And you got to recognize that. And, and you know what, our methods of getting there aren't always the same, but we're trying, we're trying, we have the same goal. Yeah. That ethic of service and uh, serving your constituents and serving the pub, serving the public. Yes. I can tell you that, you know, some of my colleagues across the way I like better than others, but that's okay. <laughs> you don't get to pick your team. No. That's the thing about politics. You don't get to pick your team. Yeah, uh, that makes sense. So going back to, you know, you've obviously got um, these relationships. You you guys have had a, a, um, a challenging six months, right, with all the COVID-related issues. I imagine even more so than normal, the amount of public criticism you get and social media backlash and all that kind of stuff. It, I, it feels to me like it must be pretty toxic. And I'm just curious, you know, what advice would you give anybody who's thinking of running around being prepared for that around preparing their family for that? Like what conversation should they be having with their family? What advice would you give in that area? Well, I'll be honest. It, it's awful. People when they're behind a screen will say things that they would never, ever, ever say to your face. And, you know, oftentimes those people aren't your constituents. Mm -hmm. They might not be in your province. They might not be in your country. And they still think that they have the right to say horrible things to you. And they seem to forget that you're a human and, and that things you do, things can hurt when they're being horrible to you. So uh, what I've done is I've kind of disengaged from social media. I'm not on there very often anymore because it is a toxic, horrible place. Um, and my advice is to get, some team around you that can help you with that. So that will be your buffer for it. So they can just get rid of the horrible stuff. And so you just have to deal with the things that are meaningful and matter and, and with people that actually are in, in your constituency. And um, cause it's, it's not great. And, and, you know, I, before I ran, I had long conversations with my family to make sure they were ready for it. Mm -hmm. My husband's not on social media at all, like at all. So it doesn't matter to him a bit. And my kids are, they're teenagers. And so they only care about their peers. They don't really care about, you know, other, other stuff related to what's ha happening and going on with me. So they're fine. They're, and they're great kids. So they're good. So we've we've covered a lot of ground on talking about what it's like to be a politician. Um, but I'd like to ask you, uh, how would you recommend getting started in the first place if someone is interested? Huh. I, I don't know how other politicians get involved. I, I mean, I had my local writing reach out to me um, mm -hmm. and it was I knew a few people in the, the party, but I had. Like I never was involved with anything to do with politics because as a business owner, you try to stay out of it so that, you know, it doesn't have any chance of impacting your business. So, um, but, and, and to be honest, I'm fairly center, like in my political beliefs, but I feel very strongly about fiscal responsibility. So I kind of gravitated towards the more conservative side, but I'm really center on my social my, you know, how I feel about social issues. So 
I'm an interesting mixture of things. So I'm interesting to have around the cabinet table too. Um, you know, I push things a little bit sometimes because of that. So, but they asked me and when I, I decided to go for it, there was already a team in place there. Um, but I think what you need is a group of people that are willing to work behind you to help you get it done. So you need people that are willing to put time and effort in to help you um, get elected. And and it certainly helps if you have people that are willing to donate money as well so that you can put <laughs> up these signs and, and send, you know, mail outs out and that kind of thing. So having a strong riding organization is very, very helpful. Um, but, I, I, you know, part of this is, you know, I spent my career, my life, um, just trying to do the right thing all the time mm-hmm. and, but doing it honestly and genuinely. So, you know, when I'm out there in the public and I'm talking to people and I'm having fun, it's real. I don't, I don't ever fake how I feel about things. So I think if you, you know, you're, you feel strongly about something and you have a group of people that are willing to help you get this done, then go for it. Like it, it, it's worth the journey. I'm going to, I I'm feel so much more connected to my community. I feel like I'm making a difference for our province and I'm using my science and engineering background to, to get some logic into some of this decision-making that's happening. <laughs> you love to hear that. <laughs> yeah, that that's incredibly inspiring. Uh, thank you so much for spending the time with us here today. Uh, this is a fantastic story and hopefully is inspirational to uh, our politics curious listeners with a, with a STEM background. Um, anything else you want to share before we wrap up? I'm a, I'm a firm believer in considering what's the worst thing that's going to happen if you do something. That's often how I make dis- tough decisions. Um, so do that. What's the worst thing that's going to happen if you put yourself out there? Really, the worst thing that's going to happen is you don't get elected. And I'm here to tell you, if you don't get elected, you will survive. I survived. <laughs> um, and I went on and to do it the next time. So go for it. Try it. Do it. And, and, and the best part is having your voice heard and being able to use your education and your experience to make the world a better place. Awesome. That's fantastic. Thank you so much for being uh, here with us today, Minister Green. We really appreciate it. Um, and for our listeners, thank you for listening to the podcast. Uh, as always, if you enjoyed this podcast, please rate or review it wherever you get it. It helps uh, other people discover the show and helps us build our audience. So thank you so much, and we'll talk to you next time. Thank you.